0: Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Doug Ford is going to tell us a story. Uh Uh-oh. It's got a sad ending. Plus, he's got a raft of doctors. Who's on that raft? Plus, we're going to look into not criminally responsible on the first day of the Alex Manassian trial. What does it mean? And Jackson Prosko joins us from Washington, D.C. Will Donald ever concede? Let's get to it. Welcome, welcome, hello, please come on in move all the way to the right. No smoking, no flash photography, please, please take your seats. We are about to get underway. What I am going to have for you is an incredible show here, and this show is going to illuminate for you precisely what is going on in the province of Ontario when it comes to managing the pandemic and where we are right now. So if you could please... Please take your seats. Please. And if you would switch off your phones, it's always some clown. Always some clown with a ridiculous ringtone, like a duck quacking or something in the middle of the show. Stop that. Now, all right, I'll set the scene for you. Down front, we have an orchestra pit, and in there, a Greek chorus. And on the stage, as the curtain goes up, a single spotlight On our lead performer, Doug Ford, the premier of Ontario, takes the stage.
1: You have have a second. I'm going to tell you a story.
0: I have a second. Doug Ford begins with a story. And he tells a story about a constituent who had contacted him about their sick dog. And they couldn't find a vet. And so Doug Ford, the Premier of Ontario, leaps into action. And this is how Doug Ford wraps that story up.
1: They were able to euthanize her dog, and I'll, I'll do anything for animal lovers and animals. And that's just one, one quick story of, of how everyone's pitching in.
0: Well, that was unexpectedly grim. The chorus down front says... What, what happened to the dog? Let me just tell you, as a, a kind of a general rule I have, this is the Turner and Hooch rule I have. Uh, by way of background, by the way, not only do I host this radio program, but I'm also the anchor man here on Global News. Cannonball! And the Turner and Hooch, Hooch rule, of course, apply, comes from that great 80s film, with Tom Hanks, where Hooch, which is the dog, dies in the film. And the film does terrible at the box office, and you know why? You don't kill off the dog. So the Greek chorus begins by telling our performer on the stage, maybe next time, let the dog live. Quick aside, as anchorman, Turner and Hooch rule here. You know, we love stories in Toronto about raccoons don't we just love them don't we not do we not every time you know somebody snaps a pic of a raccoon in a tim hortons i swear i actually read that story on the news just last week oh it's a raccoon in the tim hortons is he getting a double double rocky Mm." we love these stories well, recently there was a story about a raccoon that had got down to track level on the TTC, and wouldn't you know it, the, the raccoon goes right onto the subway car, and a bunch of people will video it on their phones, and they post it, and, oh, it's adorable. And we send a reporter out, and the reporter does a whole story about it, and it's just, oh, it's adorable. And then at the end of the story, the reporter says, unfortunately the raccoon was injured while being captured and had to be euthanized and put down. Back to you, Alan. And somebody forgot the Turner and Hurts Hooch rule. But back to our show. It's time to bring in the Greek chorus. And who's in the chorus? You got your Warners, you got your Bogashes. you got your Dionandons, you got your Furnaces. Those names may ring a bell. Who are they? They are the go-tos for the media looking for comment about how Ontario is doing with COVID-19. And from amidst the chorus... One voice rises above the rest.
1: Dr. Michael Warner, ICU physician. I just listened to another extremely disappointing press conference by
2: Premier Ford. I don't understand why he isn't meeting the moment.
0: Oh, that's from down in the chorus. It appears our performer, our lead, is not meeting the moment, according to Dr. Michael Warner. And from the stage, this response from our lead.
1: They got a whole raft of doctors, probably well over 100 that work on the health team indirectly.
0: Doug Ford has a whole raft, a raft full of doctors. Yeah, take that chorus. You're down there. I'm up here with my raft. Now the chorus calls back. Who is on this raft?
2: Let's hear from them, because I haven't heard from any physician,
1: scientist, epidemiologist, or anyone that I respect publicly declare that his framework makes any sense.
0: That is Dr. Dr. Michael Warner in a video that he posted yesterday in response to the province shouting back from the chorus. Well, now, which doctor to believe here. Who do you put your faith in? You want to talk about the doctors up there on the raft? or down here with the chorus.
1: I, I'm just not going to get into one doctor versus the other. We have some of the best docs in, in the entire country working with us, and I'm going to listen to the docs that, uh, that I talk to in our, our health table.
0: My doctors are better than your doctors. Hey, my raft is superior. We're up here on the raft, you guys are just, I mean, I mean the Titanic is going down, and let me just say, you guys are all jack, you know what I mean? You have, you
1: have a second, I'm going to tell you a story.
0: Oh! Does the dog die at the end? Now we know
1: all about who
0: Doug Ford is, and who he stands for, and you know what he represents, his politics, and all of those things, that's all out there on display. And I mean that in a good way, because we, we we know who Doug Ford is. For example, also, if I were to say to you, well, Stephen Del Duca, the Ontario Liberal leader, this morning tweeted out about how Doug Ford is absolutely screwing up the whole COVID response and doesn't care about you and doesn't care about your family. He certainly doesn't care about your dog. Well, you would know. You would just... No, well, that is a political leader in opposition. And you would take that with, I would think, a pretty sizable grain of salt, unless you're a liberal to true believer, or you happen to actually be Stephen Del Duca. But when we hear from the chorus, when the chorus shouts back at Doug Ford and his raft of doctors, what do we know about the chorus? Does anybody ask any questions about that? For example, Dr. Warner. Remember how I played a couple of clips from him, shouting up from the chorus? Well, if we check his Twitter, Dr. Warner, he is, of course, head of, I think it's intensive care, critical care, yes, critical care at Michael Garron Hospital, absolutely, absolutely qualified, but here also on his Twitter bio, entrepreneur, business-focused healthcare consulting, career coaching personal finance education. Now, I am not casting aspersions on Dr. Warner's assessment. I've had him on this radio program. I think his insights are valuable. He certainly has more education than I do in the in the area. I'm certainly going to listen to him before I just listen to some Yahoo. Bunch of Yahoo's. But should I listen to him more than the raft of doctors that Doug Ford has? Is Doctor Warner in this because he is a business focused, f- business focused healthcare consultant? Because he's getting a lot of airtime. Tell you that for free. So as you watch the play, as you sit in your seats, and you watch up on stage, Doug Ford saying, "Look, I, I get." I get calls from all sides. I'm trying to balance out here and balance this and balance that. Ask yourself, those voices from the chorus, what do they stand to gain? I think that's an important question to ask. As is, who's on the raft? Who is it that's telling you that this framework thing is a good idea? Because I don't know if you've checked the new provincial framework. I need a PhD to figure the thing out, because you know we're going from this whole modified stages: stage one, stage two, stage three. I don't know. Am I a modified stage three? I don't feel modified. Do you feel modified? I don't. And we're moving into this color-coded system. Oh, you look great in orange. Mm. I don't understand that. I'm a fall color. I am. And so what we're doing is we're we're moving people into the you know areas, not people areas. Peel. Toronto, Halton, so on and so forth, Peel has into red, except for the Peel Medical Officer of Health says, yeah, your red is not red enough for me, so I'm going to add a little extra. So if you live in the Peel region, you got to consult your color-coded guideline, yes, except for then you've also got to now consult Peel's... Uh, added restrictions. And in fact, Peel Region put out a graph, a a, a nice color-coded diagram that showed how Peel's restrictions differ from the framework. Confused? Well, you're about to be even more confused later on this afternoon when it happens for Toronto as well. And so, here we are in the audience. We got the lead on stage talking about one thing. We got the chorus down front telling us something different. And all the while, a kaleidoscope of colors is swirling around our heads. And all you have to say to yourself, you say to yourself, I don't get it. I don't understand. And when you don't understand, next thing you know, the man on the stage just says, I'm going to tell you a story.
1: you have have a second? I'm going to tell you a story.
0: And I'm telling you, when it comes to the COVID response and the confusion, it's time to put that dog down. The trial of Alex Manassian in the Toronto van attack got underway this morning. It is now on break until 1.15 this afternoon. I can tell you that what happened in court this morning, and I'm following along with Catherine McDonald, who is our crime reporter here at Global News uh, on Twitter, C M. See uh, McDonald, or see McDonald, pardon me, if you're so inclined. Of course, you can stay right here with Global News Radio throughout the course of the day for all of these updates. But I can tell you that an agreed statement of fact was read into the court. A number of videos, very disturbing videos, of the actual van attack itself were played in court. Uh, and at the beginning of the proceedings, Alex Manassian spoke. Now, this is all happening over Zoom, by the way. There were some delays this morning as they got going, and you can a number of the members of the public can actually watch along. We have reporters covering it virtually as well. Uh, and, but once it got going, Alex Manassian did speak and said, quote, I enter a plea of not criminally responsible for all counts. What does that mean? Well, it is based on Section 16 of the Criminal Code. And Andrew Bajoni is a criminal lawyer with Daniel Brown Law and joins me on the line to help help me understand Not Criminally Responsible. Welcome. Thanks very much, Alan.
2: Uh, What I think your listeners should understand about Not Criminally Responsible is essentially uh, an assertion by Mr. Manassian that at the time he... Uh, perpetrated those acts, which he's admitted to doing, he did not appreciate that what he was doing was wrong. He didn't know it was morally wrong. He didn't know that it was a breach uh, of our societal standards. And the reason he didn't appreciate that it was wrong was because of an underlying mental disorder. So that's really the not criminally responsible um, uh, analysis in a nutshell.
0: Mr. Manassian reportedly is on the autism spectrum, apparently possibly has Asperger's. I'm not sure that the court will hear exactly that assessment. But does being on the spectrum allow a person then to apply under this section of the criminal code?
2: So that wouldn't really be uh, for me to say, Alan. That's going to be for the psychiatrists who are going to give evidence at the trial and it's going to be a psychiatrist for the crown and there'll be a psychiatrist for the defense as well and whether whatever conditions mr manassian was suffering from at the time whether it uh, be asperger's uh, whether it be a, a more serious form or a form of psychosis or something different regardless of what that particular condition is the question again is going to be did it render him unable to appreciate at the time that what he was doing was wrong so i couldn't assist you unfortunately with with whether those conditions would would uh would qualify but that's why there will be experts for the court's
0: consideration part of the evidence of course will be the statement that manassian gave to investigators in the hours following the attack when he uh, talked about it proudly that he had carried out his mission I'm wondering how that plays into it. It certainly appeared in that interview that there was no guilt or remorse, at least.
2: Right, and I think that's a really good question. So what uh, what the experts are going to base their opinions on are going to be those statements. They're going to be the time that the expert is spent with Mr. Manassian, and any other evidence that might give that expert an idea of what may or may not have been going through his mind. So if we're talking about statements to the effect of I've carried out my purpose or things of that nature, certainly that seems to speak to, at least to a degree, a directing mind behind these actions um But, but I, again, I'm not sure that really gets to the central question of did he appreciate that what he was doing uh, was wrong. So while it may be some evidence that that he proceeded with a plan and carried out a plan, notwithstanding it was in contravention of of societal uh, laws and and mores uh, and morals, but uh, it, it may not cast the full picture. And, and that's why they're going to need the extraneous kind of other pieces of evidence in addition to the statements to kind of try and get at his mental state at the time for the judge's consideration.
0: Not criminally responsible is uh, controversial for the public. I think, you know, a lot of people think that that's a, a way to get out of, you know, serving hard time or, you know, facing up to uh, your responsibilities. Give me a sense of how high of a bar it is legally.
2: Yeah, I think, Alan, that that's somewhat of a a misperception on the public's part. And the reason that is is because uh, it's a foundational principle of our criminal law that we only punish people uh, if they're morally responsible for their actions. So the same way that our criminal law relieves people uh, of responsibility if they were asleep uh, at the time they committed an act or if they strictly did something by accident the same kind of principle applies in that someone who's found to be not criminally responsible um, because they were unable to appreciate that what they were doing was wrong they don't have the same type of agency over their actions as someone who who did know what they were doing was wrong and proceeded anyways and to to answer your question that the Judge is going to need to determine whether Mr. Manassian has proven on what's called a balance of probabilities, so fifty-one percent to forty-nine percent, um, whether Mr. Manassian has proven and, and fulfilled his burden of showing that he didn't appreciate that. So the evidence is going to need to be quite cogent and I think persuasive to get Mr. Manassian into that position. So by no means this is an easy hurdle to cross. Obviously the judge is well aware of how serious this is and, and is going to scrutinize the evidence uh, from the psychiatrist very carefully. So certainly not um, a shoe in for Mr. Manassian by any
0: stretch. So the court will be determining um, Mr. Manassian's mental state at the time of the incident. I'm, I'm wondering, this is something that I just really haunts me about this case, is we know that Mr. Manassian posted uh, a post on Facebook in the hours prior to the attack. We also know that he was inspired by the incel movement and that he had uh, stumbled across this on 4chan and some other uh, boards of social media boards. Is there any culpability or any way to get at culpability of the social media platforms or the technology hosts that put this information out there for people like Alex Manassian to find and then act on?
2: Yeah, I I think that's a very interesting question. Certainly won't be the focus uh, of the trial, but I do think we've seen uh, certainly considerable debate in uh, in the past months and years about the responsibility of big social media companies like Facebook, like Twitter. Uh, things of that nature, and we've seen uh, Facebook try and rein in some of the more insidious um, conspiracy theories, QAnon, whatever whatever you want. So they, there seems to be a movement towards taking a bit of responsibility for the content on those platforms, but I think you, as you get further away from those kind of uh, the giants in that sphere into something a little smaller, perhaps not in terms of membership, but in terms of kind of corporate persona like a 4chan or m- kind of smaller messaging boards like that, I think it becomes very difficult to control that content and certainly to locate any liability.
0: But uh, would this would would this not, would this not trial not have an aspect of looking at Mr. Manassian's uh, computer, what he had been on what sites he had visited and and where it is that he got this information. Would that not be part of assessing his uh, his mental state leading up to the attack?
2: Yeah, I, I'm not sure, Alan, I think that's a good question. Uh, certainly, there's no dispute that he did these things, and that, and there's no dispute either of of his motivation. So the relevance of of where he came into those ideas, where they germinated, uh, etc. I'm not sure uh, is is so much the focus. I think the court's really going to be interested uh, in the psychiatrist's opinions of, you know, in view of all of the evidence, including what he may or may not have contributed on those message boards, whether it kind of tends to show that, that he did know what he was doing was wrong and proceeded anyways, or whether this was kind of uh, more in line with something he was completely oblivious to and felt uh, conversely kind of authorized or uh, or able to do, notwithstanding that we all believe it to be wrong.
0: Andrew Bajani is a criminal lawyer with Daniel Brown Law. I really appreciate your perspective in coming on the program today. Thank you again. My pleasure, Alan. Thank you. Bye-bye. I am not going to concede anything. I'm not. Con- you know what? The only thing I'll concede is is that this is the best hour of radio in Toronto. That's I'll concede that. Other than that, forget it. I'm going to trump it. I'm just going to ignore the evidence <laughs> to the contrary. <laughs> just maintain what I believe in. Even as he refuses to concede the election. Sources are saying that Donald Trump is expected to announce this week he's forming a leadership political action committee to run again in 2024. All of this while the U.S. Department of Justice official who oversees election crimes resigned, resigned in protest after the attorney general, William Barr, authorized federal prosecutors across the country to pursue, quote unquote, substantial allegations of voting irregularities. What does it all mean? Jackson Prosco is with Global National from Washington, D.C. Jackson, have you slept at all in the last week?
3: (laughs) You know, Alan, there's a lot of moving parts here to keep watching.
0: You, You had a great tweet thread this morning that I enjoyed where you talked about a growing unease amongst Democrats. What do you mean?
3: Yeah, so, you know, I think they were jubilant on Saturday when Joe Biden was declared the winner based on the projections in the Electoral College and all these states, and I think they're becoming increasingly worried now that not only is Trump not conceding, but he's sort of making overtures to the idea that maybe he never will concede, which, granted, he doesn't legally have to do, but, uh, you know, the idea of these investigations and court challenges that could somehow toss out the vote and dispute the results. I don't think it's going to come to that, but I think there's this nervousness and there's another element to all this, which is the silence from Trump himself. I mean, when is the last time we went four days without Donald Trump appearing on TV somewhere to speak to us? That hasn't happened.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are wondering about that. But I'm often reminded of a quote that I, I think Politico had it in the in the wake of the 2016 election, where some wag said, you know, we we constantly— you know, thinking that Trump is playing three-dimensional chess and he's just eating the pieces, that it's not really a strategy.
3: <laughs> no, and I think I think you're, you're uh, absolutely right there. You know, if there is a strategy here, Alan, I think it has more to do with uh, discrediting the vote, casting doubt. And you kind of see that with the court challenges that are happening right now. Like all these court challenges keep getting thrown out by judges in various states because there's no substance to back them up. Uh, one was tossed out after a judge said, this is hearsay based on hearsay. Another uh, was dropped after the plaintiff essentially backed out, and basically she was confused about the voting process and decided to complain to the Trump campaign about it. Um, there's nothing that suggests anything going on on a scale that would impact the you know nearly 5 million more votes that Joe Biden got over Donald Trump, or on a state level, the tens of thousands. Even the actions by Bill Barr seem kind of toothless on the surface and sort of, again, you know, give white wing commentators and conservative media something to talk about that Bill Barr is investigating this, when in fact he's saying, yeah, you can investigate it, but it has to be substantive. It has to be big enough to change the course of the election for us to pay any attention to it.
0: Speaking with Jackson Prosco, who is the Global National uh, Bureau Chief in Washington, D.C., Jackson, we we knew this was all going to happen. You know, like we like going into this this was not, this is not really a surprise that he wouldn't concede and you know that he'd say it was rigged and and so disinformation and distrust but all the same it's still unnerving
3: it is. I mean, even the idea that it was going to take time to cast these millions of mail-in ballots was something that, you know, we warned about and we warned our audience about for weeks in advance of this. This is sort of an unusual election year. Um, but no, I don't think there's any surprise that Donald Trump is putting up a fight here on his way out the door. Uh, and I think that sort of speaks to the strategy from the Biden camp here, which is to ignore this. I mean, they are not breathing any oxygen into Trump's claims of mass voter fraud, not only because there's no proof, but they don't want to find themselves in a situation where it's like, he said, he said, and then that sort of creates some sort of false equivalency. When there's no proof to back this up, what's the point of acknowledging it? Let Trump be Trump. Let him bluster and just sort of move on. And you have to wonder if that's what's enraging the president more than anything, that the world is moving on without him.
0: Well, we talked about the fact that it's been some time since uh, Donald Trump has been in front of the cameras and he he almost feeds off that like it's oxygen. But he has been on Twitter. Have you been following what he's been tweeting this morning?
3: Yeah, I mean it's you know more of the same. It's the election was stolen, fraud here, fraud there, this state did this wrong. It's nothing of substance. And uh, you know, despite the president's words, I look more of the words of those around him, the people who are actually trying to bring forward these court challenges. Yesterday, uh, Ronna McDaniel, who's the uh, chairwoman of the Republican Party, and Kayleigh McEnany, who is the White House press secretary but is acting in her, quote-unquote, personal capacity for the campaign right now, held a press conference. And again, they said, you know, there's all this voter fraud out there. They provided no evidence, and they said the evidence was that the media should dig into it. This doesn't seem to be going anywhere.
0: Right. I was was, um, saddened that they weren't back at Four Seasons Landscaping for that press conference. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> make America break oh. again. That's my thank you. Um, I'm here all week.
3: I, I thought we were going with law and order. Actually,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you, what do you make of these this sort of you know sources say close to the president? He's forming a run for 2024.
3: I think he will say he's doing that. I would be surprised if he actually does it. But I think this is the bigger play here. The president is trying to keep himself in Republican irrelevant in Republican Party politics for two reasons. One, he's got a huge loyal base of supporters. So if he's sitting on the side toying with the idea of running again in 2024, he can sort of position himself as kingmaker. And number two, he's got a whole bunch of campaign debt that he needs to clear out here right now. So when you look at the dozens and dozens of fundraising emails that your uh, Trump supporters are getting right now about legal fights and contesting the elections, there's a little bit of fine print at the bottom there, and it says 60% of donations received go to clearing Trump's campaign debt. So that is also motivating him right now to make a big stink and keep the base all fired up, because if people forget about him, they'll forget about giving money to him, and then he can't deal with his campaign debt.
0: Any update from Republican leaders? I, you know, obviously some disappointment that Republican leaders have not said, no, this election is over, Joe Biden won.
3: Yeah, Mitch McConnell spoke just a short time ago, and he essentially said, you know, uh, the, the president can keep raising these questions and investigating things until the Electoral College meets to certify the result in December. Uh, that leaves Republicans in the awkward position of uh, not acknowledging Biden's victory when people like. Turkish President Erdogan, who's a close Trump ally, now have come out and done it. So has Boris Johnson. And so this is a very strange game Republicans are playing. But you also have to remember, we are headed for two runoffs in the Senate in the state of Georgia in January, which will decide who controls the Senate. So, again, playing the long game here, Republicans are just trying to keep Trump supporters all fired up, all motivated, because it's all going to come down to Georgia.
0: Jackson Prosco, always great to have you on the program. Just a stellar work over the past week or so. I hope eventually things calm down and you get a chance to get some sleep.
3: Hey, if you want to put in a word with the bosses upstairs, feel free. <laughs> Thanks, Alex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jackson. Thanks, Jackson. Jackson uh, is uh, misinformed about my influence. Uh, to the bosses up above. Coming up, speaking of the boss, coming up is uh, Doug Ford. Uh, Doug Ford will be speaking, as usual, at 1 o'clock, and he's going to be joined today by John Tory. And that is interesting because we're waiting for Toronto, of course, to announce whether or not will it will impose extra restrictions beyond what's going to happen on Saturday is, uh, as we move to this colors coded system and out of modified stage two. It is so complicated, I'd need another hour to explain it to you. Really, I would. But the bottom line is, is what the province has decided to do is put up what it's calling a framework and then allow individual jurisdictions like Toronto, like Peel, to then decide and fine-tune. So now you have your color code. What, co- what color am I today? Oh, I'm a slight puce. That doesn't seem healthy, but I'm in puce. But uh, I look under the... There's no puce section. I just like saying that. Periwinkle. How about periwinkle? I look under the periwinkle section.
1: Let's uh, give this a shot.
0: Well, hang on. You know, there are a lot of colors in the rainbow, Doug. And, And you look at it, and that's a framework, but then you have to, from there, you have to go to your own individual area where you live. For example, in Brampton, yeah, sure, you might be in... You you know, you might be in Coral. That's a color. You might be in Coral, but it says that in Peel, you still can't get married, for example. Not, well, you can get married. You just can't have a reception. Breaks my heart. That's, I know. It'd be sad. Who's going to throw the rice? Yeah. And so you have in that particular area, then another subset, and what some of the health experts who are not on the health table, have said to the premier is, that doesn't make any sense, my friend. And just this morning, the prime minister was holding a press conference, and he said something a little cryptically. He said, you know, cases are going up, and I urge premiers and mayors to do the right thing. Who's not doing the right thing? Always do the right thing. That's the truth, Ruth. That is the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show weekdays, beginning at noon.